Thanks, Trevor. Appreciate that. Well, we want to spend a little time in the Word together, and uh, we're going to do that now. I want to say thank you. It seems like holidays are a time where we reflect upon uh, the year and we think about uh, life. Many of you probably have received things in the mail from people who kind of give a summary of their year and the highlights and favorite trips and things that have happened. And it is a time of year where we reflect upon uh, upon the year. And as a church, I think it's good for us as well to uh, look at 2011 and to think about all the things that God did within our church, within people and marriages and families and within small groups and within leadership and hopefully within your heart to think about what God has done in this year in your life and to have a real profound sense of thankfulness for that. And I want to, on behalf of the leadership of the church, to say thank you to to you in all the things that you have done to contribute to the body life of our church, each of you in some way having a role in that, gifted by the Holy Spirit with gifts and with a heart to serve, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for the privilege of being able to be the pastor of this church. And here as we come into 2012, we're looking forward to some big new horizons and big new things for us as a church. So Thanksgiving for 2011, anticipation for what's coming in the next year. But uh, thanks for a great year, everyone, and praise God for what he has done. Well, as you know, we're doing this series, I Met Jesus, and... We uh, have met, like Jesus, we've met a lot of interesting people in this series. And when we come to the Christmas season, uh, as I said at the beginning of the service, John doesn't really help us that much in, re- in terms of the events of what happened at the incarnation of, of Christ. And if you have an issue with that, you can take it up with John someday. If you're a Christian, you're going to meet him and you could ask him, why didn't you talk about the incarnation? We would love to have heard your perspective on that. And he may have a good answer and no doubt the Holy Spirit does as well. But the fact of the matter is, is that if we're doing a series on I Met Jesus from the Gospel of John, uh, when it comes to Christmas, we just don't have that much to go on. So if you will uh, allow me a little bit of grace to turn to a different gospel, I would like to, on this day, this Christmas day, to, uh, to talk with you about uh, the, the, the person, the people, that other than, other than his own parents were the very first people in all the world to meet the incarnate Christ. Now I want you to think about it. Who was it? Who was it? Who was first to the manger in the story? And with that, now listen as I read from Luke chapter 2, which tells us now the story. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Or as the old King James says, they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. All right, so who was first to the manger? Other than his parents, who was first to the manger? Well, was it the angels? No, it was not the angels. There's no record of the angels being there. No, maybe they were, but we're not told that they were. It's not the angels. Was it the sheep? Kids, what's the answer to that? Were the sheep the first ones there? There seems to be some hesitation. You all know what sheep are, don't you? In fact, why, right now, why don't we do our best sheep impersonation we can all together? One, two, three. All right. So were there, were, were, were the sheep the very first ones? No, they were not. Now, there may have been sheep there. We're not exactly sure. But they weren't the first ones. Who were the first people to see the incarnate Christ? And the answer is, the shepherds were. Exactly, the shepherds were. So let's talk about the shepherds and the day that they met Jesus. First of all, who were the shepherds? They're, of course, famous, but I wonder if we really understand who these guys were and what they're all about. Shepherding in that day was a very common job. It was an agricultural society where they raised crops and they had animals. And so sheep was a, was a very common animal of the day and, and shepherds therefore were very much needed. Here's something I'll bet that you did not know. Shepherds in that day did not have the best reputations. Now you would say, how can that be? They're famous in the story. Well, here's the primary reason that they did not have a very good reputation. To be a shepherd, you had to watch the sheep on the Sabbath. Which meant if you were watching sheep on the Sabbath, you couldn't go to temple worship. So guess what happened then over the course of time? If you were not so much into going to the temple and you were looking for a job that would give you a little bit of an excuse to get out from having to go to church, I mean temple, you might think to yourself, you know what, if I was a shepherd, I wouldn't have to go to temple worship all the time. And so what happened then is the types of people who weren't so much into that kind of thing, they gravitated to being shepherds. And so the shepherds then, therefore, kind of had a reputation in the culture of the day of being a little bit less than spiritual. They weren't so much into the whole God thing, the shepherds. On top of that, you have the fact that it was not the easiest job. Uh, this, this was not a job where you sort of worked nine to five and then you went home and you sat around in your nice home and you, you watched, uh, your television and you had dainty fine foods and all the rest. To be a shepherd was to work with animals and it meant that you had to be exposed to the elements. You had to live with them. You had to sleep with them. You had to be around them. And so guess what happened with shepherds who spent all this time with smelly sheep guess what other reputation they no doubt had 
When you walked into the marketplace and you stood next to somebody, you were like, I'll bet he's a shepherd. Because he smells like those sheep. He smells like the open field. He smells like a man who hasn't taken a shower in a very long time. Not that they had showers back then. A bath for a very long time. It was hard for single shepherds to get wives, no doubt about it. Anyway, I just a moment of reflection there. I, uh, <laughs> so if you combine the fact that they were not exactly the most refined uh, people of the day and that they had a reputation for being less than spiritually minded individuals, the shepherds really are probably at near the bottom of the list of the people that you would expect to have the privilege of being the very first people to see the incarnated Son of God. But they were. They were. And why don't we just pause right now and ask the question, why would God give to shepherds this immense privilege? If you were to think about... Who would be the list of people that you would expect that God would give the privilege of seeing the incarnate Christ first? We would, we would obviously go probably to uh, more of the top of the social ladder. We would think of maybe King Herod, right? Or, or how about the, uh, a Levite? Or how about a priest? Maybe the high priest. Maybe Caiaphas. I don't know, I don't know that he was the high priest at the time, but the high priest. Or, or how about somebody of social standing? Maybe somebody that uh, was well-known. Maybe somebody that was famous. How about military people? Why not a soldier? Why not a Roman governor like Pilate or somebody like that? You can, I mean, you can go a long ways down the list of people that you would, if the Son of God was showing up, that you would expect to be invited to be the first ones to meet him. And yet we find in the story, it's none of those people Rather, it is the shepherds. And I think the reason for this is that we find in the beginning, from the beginning of the story, we find that Jesus' life is marked by a ministry to people you wouldn't expect. His whole life, think about the rest of his life. Who is Jesus known for hanging out with. He was a friend of who? He was a friend of sinners. So to be on Jesus' guest list had nothing to do with how much money you had, had nothing to do with your education, had nothing to do with your social standing, your political power. To meet Jesus, all you had to do was to be a sinner. And from the beginning of his story, even when he is a little infant, it's the disenfranchised, it's the marginal, it's those on the fringes of society who are there to meet him at the beginning. And isn't this one reason that we still to this day stand in awe of this story? That the Son of God came for people like the shepherds, which is wonderfully encouraging to us today, is it not? Because if Jesus came for shepherds, it means that maybe he came for people like who? People like us. Because I'm looking around the room right now at our Christmas Day service, 10 o'clock service here, and I'm not seeing, I, I don't, there's nobody famous here that I can see. 
No, nobody famous. I don't see anybody here of any particular note. Nobody, nobody, uh, any front, any headliners here? Star athletes? Upper crust rich? You know what I'm looking at as I look out here? I see normal folk. We are normal folk here. Average, run of the mill, typical sinners. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah. And so that's why we love the shepherds. We love the shepherds because they represent us spiritually. We are just like them. The story goes on in verse 15. When the angels went away from them in heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, one of the things that that strikes me in the story is how different it is from the perception that we oftentimes have of Christmas. Like when we think about Christmas, we sometimes get sentimental. We begin to think of sort of calming moments and, and silent nights. And it's sort of like this sort of blissful, everything's sort of ah, peaceful, right? All is calm. All is right. You know, it's sort of this. And yet, what do we see in the story when we look at it? It's like the opposite of that, isn't it? You've got a baby being born in a stable. You've got angels appearing and filling the sky, singing and shouting, glory to God in the highest. Uh, and on earth, depending on your translation, peace unto whom his favor rests and all the other ones, it's hard to say it all now. But you have these angels saying these things. The shepherds here hear the news. And these are like, these are like blue collar guys. All right. So these are not the refined upper crust. It's not like Thurston Howell the third's going lovey. Let's go and see what this is. This is, this is guys. The, these are like, these are Chicago bear fan kind of guys. All right. These are guys that, that if there's something good news and they're, ah, let's go check it out. And so you see, you see the shepherds doing that, can't you? They're not all like, well, let us go now and discover the thing that has been declared to us by the angels they're like did you hear that are you kidding me we what about the sheep who cares about the sheep let's go check this thing out yeah let's go do it come on more like that is what i see and so they head into bethlehem to find jesus now the text says and they went with haste and found mary and joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Let me ask this question to you. How did they find Jesus that night? I think, again, there is a misconception on this. Oftentimes we think to ourselves, well, everybody that I know in the story followed a star. There must have been a star. So they went into Bethlehem and they were looking for a star. And we all know the star went over the place where he was and the shepherds saw it. Right? Wrong. It wasn't the star. That's later in the story, maybe two years later in the story. When there were some men from where? The east. Which means that they came what direction? West. That's right. And they followed the star from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And that's how they found Jesus. The shepherds didn't. There are no stars for the shepherds, okay? Sorry to mess up your nativity scene. But there are no stars (laughs) with the I have issue with the nativity scene, which I'll get to in a moment. How did they find the baby Jesus? Hmm. Now we go back to the text and it says here, 
that he would be, remember what the angel said, this will be a sign to you. He will be a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, how was that a sign to them? Let me tell you, it's not the swaddling clothes part of that that story. Swaddling clothes is what every baby was wrapped in. That'd be like saying the son of God is the child in the nursery at Bethel Church in a onesie. You'd say, they all are wearing onesies. That's not going to help very much. That's like what swaddling clothes were. However, the rest of that says what? He was lying in a manger. In a manger. Now that's not something that you see every day because a manger was the thing that was used to feed the animals in the stable. Who would put a baby in a feeding trough? That's an uncommon... The swaddling clothes, that doesn't distinguish much, but you see a baby lying in a feeding trough, you know something is going on there, right? And so you can imagine this now. The the shepherds, who may or may not have been from Bethlehem, they may or may not have known anybody in Bethlehem, they go rushing into Bethlehem and they, they're going, where is the baby lying in a manger? Anybody seen a baby lying in a manger? And you can see the townsfolk going, what are you, uh, you crazy shepherds? You go to temple worship more often. That's a stew. Who would put a baby in a manger? You're nuts so. Well, somehow they got directed to what was probably a cave. Somebody said, ah, we saw a pregnant girl. She might have been, I don't know, over there. And they're like, oh, let's go, let's go, let's go. And they arrive at the place, a most unlikely place. To meet the Son of God. But verse 17 describes that moment for them. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now let's go back to your little nativity scenes that you have at home and how unbiblical they are. (laughs) Think about the nativity scene that you have at home or that you've seen. Typically, what do we have in, in the, in the, in the nativity scene? There is always, of course, the baby Jesus. There is the doting mother and father. And then you always have, uh, the, maybe you have a star, right? Mounted on top of the little thing. There's a star. Was the star there? Aren't you glad you came to this service? All the rest of our church people, they think the star should be there. There shouldn't be a star. Go home and just, boom, break that thing off of there. (laughs) Throw it in the garbage and say, we are going to be a biblical house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Get that star off of there. And then, of course, you have the wise men who are there and the camels and the gifts that they're offering and... Were the wise men there at the, at the, no. So I want you to take those wise men, break their heads off (laughs) as a reminder next year that they should not be there. Take the camel, part the stockings and throw it in the fire right there at your house. Burn them, get rid of them. They shouldn't be there. But then you have always, you have the shepherds, right? And I'm going to guess that your shepherds are carved in some fashion where they look something like this, right? (laughs) 
No expression on their face whatsoever. They're just sort of there like this. Maybe they have a staff, right? Like that. Now I want you to look at the text again and let's find out if that's a biblical nativity scene that you have. And when they heard it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. I'm sorry, verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Notice what the shepherds are doing as they get to this place. It says that they are glorifying and praising God for what they heard and what they seen. What they heard from the angel and what they see in the baby Jesus. So let's go back to the carving in your nativity scene. What do you see on the face of the, of the shepherd? Nothing. How do they look? Static. Like this, right? I want you to take those shepherds, break their heads off, and throw them away. Do you want to have a biblical house, folks? Seriously. What does the text say that the shepherds are doing? Are, are they very soberly and somberly, very reverentially, just sort of there... Being a, are they like the furniture in the room? No. They are glorifying God and they are praising God. So what we need then in our nativity scenes is we need some, not, not this. They're more like this and this and whatever dancing looks like in a carving. That's, yeah, right there what you just did. She got to get into it here. I like it. But that's the scene. There is joy, there is gladness, there's wonder, there's rejoicing, and the shepherds embody that. Mary's kind of treasuring it up and pondering it. She doesn't exactly know what it all means. She just gave birth, she's got a baby. But the shepherds are there freely worshiping with gladness. Now here's what I want to say to you today. When the shepherds connect the identity of the Savior from what the angels said, And the reality of the baby in the manger, they cannot help but rejoice. Let me say that again. When the shepherds connect the identity of the baby from what the angel said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, with the reality of the baby in the manger, they cannot help but rejoice. And this is how I believe the shepherds are for us today. They are a guide and a measure for where our hearts are this morning. Do we, like the shepherds, connect the identity of this child, realizing who he is, Savior, Son of God, Lord of the earth? Do we connect that identity with the reality of this baby in the manger. And when I'm saying that, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this to be sort of superficial, like, hey, let's all just get woohoo, like that. I'm talking about real joy, the kind of enduring joy and wonder that God has come to earth, that he came in the most delicate and fragile way, in the most unexpected place, born to the most unexpected couple, inviting the most unexpected people to be there as a part of the, of the party. Do we recognize and realize 
what this really is all about. And does that produce in us, like the shepherds, joy and wonder? And I say that today to this room, knowing that here today and within our church, we have uh, very difficult circumstances represented here. I mean, if we all were to share right now the burdens on our hearts, we would probably be surprised even with this gathering how many burdens and how many struggles and troubles that we have right here in this room. And we're not talking about sort of, again, that sort of superficial, temporarily, I'm happy now, but my life stinks. What we're talking about here is why we need Christmas so much. It is not the elimination of the difficult circumstances, but it, is, it represents to us that in spite of the pain in life and in spite of the brokenness of this world and in spite of the situation maybe that you're going to today with a painful family situation or maybe a loved one who is not here this Christmas, no matter what it is, at the end of the day, Christ has come. There is something transcendent in this world. There is a God who loves me, who has come for me, and that is represented supremely in the birth of Christ. And so no matter what happens in my life, what happens in 2012, the bottom line of bottom lines is that I am a sinner, I'm going to die, but there is a Savior, and His name is Jesus. And He came. And that is what we need at Christmas, is it not? And that is why we need Christmas. We need this reminder. As the, as, uh, the angel said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I wonder today if maybe your life is in, in need of a little bit of saving. A little bit of saving. The Bible says that all of us are in need of saving. And it has to do with this sin and this thing that just constantly is tripping us up morally, that keeps us from a relationship with God, that this is why Christ has come. He died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against our sin and to give us the hope of salvation and the gift of eternal life. Christ has done this. And there is enduring joy in that. There is enduring joy. And I think that this is one reason that When we really understand in the big picture what God has done, our joy ought to eclipse the joy of the shepherds and the treasuring of Mary that night. Because you know what they knew? They knew some, and they knew it dramatically, but they knew so incompletely. They knew they knew this baby was a savior. We don't know that much more about it. They knew something special would happen. Angels told us about it. But did they realize that that baby that was there was the God-man? Did they realize the, the wonder of the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? Did they have any idea at that point that this child would live a morally perfect life? Did they have any idea that he had came for the very reason that he might do this and satisfy the requirements of the law? That he might die in our place? Did they, were they thinking, you know what, this baby's going to die on a cross someday? They had no idea about that. And they certainly had no idea about the resurrection. And they had no clue that this child, 
this very child in the very body that they see before them would be the body, would be the body of the Son of God who will come back someday. Riding on the horse, ruling and reigning, King of kings and Lord of lords. And that someday this very body will comfort his people, wiping every tear from their eyes. And that he would be in this body before them forever. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God and the Son of Man. Did they have any idea? Did they get all that whole theology and all of that? No! All they knew was this much. But that much produced joy and wonder. And here we are today on the other side of Christ's ministry with the revelation of God's word, the full expression from God of all that we need to know and understand. We know so much more, which calls us to greater joy and wonder in who Christ is and the fact that he came to earth. And so that's where I think we need to try to get our hearts as best we can. And we all fail and we're all, you're going to have a fight with your sister at dinner tonight and some kid's not going to like the gift you gave. And Christmas is, you know, it's filled with all of these tensions and complications and contradictions. But again, at the bottom line, Christ has come. And that's what it really is all about. And that is the source of our joy. And so you all did a a fairly good uh, sheep impersonation earlier. As you leave today, I would suggest that we should all do a really good shepherd impersonation. And that is to walk out of here with joy and gladness, rejoicing that Christ has come. And that is my word to you today. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that Christ has come. We thank you that uh, the fruit of that coming was the glory of his sacrifice and the gift of salvation through him. And so, Lord, indeed, a, a, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And we come under, in this service now, we come under both his identity as Christ, Messiah, and Savior, and his glory and authority as Lord of the universe. And we offer our worship to him today. May Jesus, may you be honored in every place of this world. May your name be held high. May may increasingly eyes and hearts see the beauty and the wonder of who you are and what you have done and what you will be for us for all of eternity. And may the fruit of that be in our hearts a genuine joy an enduring joy that life and pain and sorrow and loss cannot take away from us. So we pray to that end today. May Christ be magnified. The Christ child, who now is the ruling and reigning Lord. To you be glory, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.